Welcome to Impact Church's podcast with Pastor Travis Hearn. Pastor Travis also serves as the team pastor for the NBA's Phoenix Suns and has served Major League Baseball as the team chaplain for over a decade. Today, he leads us with a powerful and hope-filled message. We're so glad you're tuning in, and we believe that wherever you're listening from, that God will impact your life through today's message. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life. I'm continuing in a series that I started three weeks ago called Weapons. Look at somebody and just say the word weapons, weapons. And I've been talking about weapons because we live in a spiritual world, and we live in a spiritual world that means we are in a constant battle, a constant spiritual battle. In fact, we are in the fight of our lives, and you not only need to know what weapons we have to use, but you need to know how to use them. And so that's what we're looking at. And I've been reading this scripture every week as we begin, and I want to read it today in 2 Corinthians 10, chapter 10, verse 4. In fact, let's read this together as a church family out loud. Ready? Here we go. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so week one, we talked about the weapon of weakness. In week two, we talked about the weapon of God's word. Last week, we looked at the weapon of confidence. And today, and also next Sunday, we're going to look at the weapon of prayer. Prayer is a spiritual weapon. Prayer is a powerful weapon. In fact, I have personally witnessed the power of prayer over and again in my own life. I could write a book on answered prayers because prayer is that powerful. In fact, prayer is not only so incredibly powerful, it's the single most powerful weapon in your arsenal. The problem is, is that prayer oftentimes is our last resort, right? Like we try everything else first, And then it's like nothing worked and we're like, you know what, I better pray about it. Like we try everything. We try to fix our own problems. We try to fix our own relationships. We try to talk ourselves out of situations, think ourselves out of situations. We might call a friend. We might call a family member, talk to a coworker. We overthink. We worry. We turn and try to drink our problems away. We try to drug our problems away. We try to stay busy and just work our problems away. And then when nothing else works, then we get serious about prayer. And the truth is prayer should be your first resource not your last resort. Prayer should be your first line of defense, not your last resort. And so one of my favorite verses, I want to read this with you about prayer is in Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. You've probably heard this scripture before. Let's read this one out loud together. Ready? Here we go. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or think. In other words, nothing is too difficult for the God that we serve. In other words, nothing is too big for God and nothing is too big for us 
to ask God about. Prayer is a weapon. And so I want to open with prayer and we're going to dig into the outline today. Father, we thank you for this great morning as we can come together and we learn from your word, God. We just pray that, Lord, you light a fire in our soul. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all say amen. Let's give another round of applause to our worship team. So I, I want to give you today, I think, three takeaways about prayer, three things that we should be praying for every day. Somebody say every day, every day, every day. Not like every now and then, not like once a Sunday or on Sunday once a week, but three things that we ought to be praying for. They ought to just be part of your prayer life every single day. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down, is that I need to be praying for God's peace. I need to pray for peace. Say the word peace. Peace is a powerful, powerful concept especially when it comes to God's peace. And so I need to pray for peace. I need to pray for inner peace. I need to pray for peace in my relationships, for peace in my family, peace in my uh, career, right? I need to pray for global peace. I need to pray for national peace. See, what's great about peace is that God is a God of peace. In fact, the Bible in Isaiah, that's why when it prophesied about the coming of the Messiah, it called Jesus the Prince of Peace. He is a God of peace. He is the author of peace. And see, it's important because when you look to the world, you find a phony peace, right? An artificial peace, a peace that really doesn't last. It doesn't really give you the true peace that God can give you. One of the very reasons for the existence, for the birth of our Savior, was to bring us peace. Peace. This is what Jesus said himself in John 14, 27. He said, I'm leaving you with a gift. It's a gift. Peace of mind and peace of heart. And he said, the peace that I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or don't be afraid. I love this scripture because number one, it's the words of Jesus Christ himself. Number two, I like that he calls peace a gift. I'm giving you a gift, right? Think of all the gifts that you've given and received. Wouldn't it be great if you could give somebody peace? I mean, we give things, presents, we give stuff, we give material things. Maybe you get thoughtful and you write a poem or a card or something like that. But if you could give somebody peace, that's what I want for Christmas. Give me peace. Give me permanent peace. Give me true peace in my heart and in my mind. And then the third thing I love about this is he says, I'm not giving you the kind of peace that the world can give you. The world cannot give you peace. It can't give you permanent peace. It's temporary. It's fake. The world cannot give you real peace. It's artificial peace. And then he says, don't be troubled or afraid. See, that's really what he's talking about is because some of you today, you are in trouble. Some of you today, 
you are afraid. Maybe you're afraid because you are in trouble, right? You're in trouble, so you're living in fear. Maybe your marriage or your relationship is in trouble. Your finances, maybe they're in trouble. Maybe your health or your mental health or your emotions or maybe, maybe you're in trouble and you're dealing and battling an addiction. Maybe you're in trouble because you're dealing with betrayal. Somebody's betrayed you. Now you've become hurt. See, if you're not careful, the hurt turns into anger and the anger can turn into bitterness. And so you have to be careful because what God wants to do is he wants to give you heavenly peace. He wants to give you total peace in your heart and in your mind. Now, I want to read you a verse about God's peace. You've heard this. For sure you've heard this. It's in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Before I read these scriptures, I want you to understand the context of these scriptures. Paul is in prison in Rome. He's in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's in prison in Rome. And so in prison in Rome, he decides, I'm gonna write these letters to these churches. And one of these churches was in the city of Philippi. That's where we get our book, Philippians. Great job, church. And so this is what it says. Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Now, guys, He's writing this from prison to other people who aren't in prison. He, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to who? To God and the peace of God. Ah, this is my favorite. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Now, he says with prayer and supplication. What a church word. Prayer and supplication. You know what that means? Prayer means I talk to God. Supplication means I start begging God. Supplication means I'm in a situation right now, God, where this is no longer a request. Now I am begging you, God, for a miracle in my life. I'm begging you for the peace of God in my life. So he says prayer and supplication. And then, see, listen, this is important because somebody in here today, you are in the storm of your life. And when you're in the storm of your life, I'm going to make up a word. It's time to start supplicating. It's time to start supplicating. It's time to have some prayer and some supplication. It's time to have you ever bombarded heaven with your requests. It's time to start showing God that you're serious. You might even say, hey, I need to start a fast. I'm going to give up food and instead I'm going to focus on prayer and supplication. I'm going to go on a fast and show God that I need business. I mean a miracle in the most desperate, desperate way. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Take your requests to God. And then my favorite part is that the peace of God, which surpasses all 
understanding, which means that the peace that God gives you makes absolutely no sense to the human mind at all. God gives you a peace that's not logical. I'm in this storm and I ought to be freaking out right now. But instead of freaking out, I have complete peace in my heart and peace in my mind. I should be in a complete panic right now. But instead, I'm filled with complete peace right now. Instead of my heart and my mind being in chaos, there is a total calm in my life. When I was a kid, my mama used to take me to Sunday school. You remember the old days when we had Sunday school? Anybody go to Sunday school? And we used to sing a song about this. It started with, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. You remember that song? You got to sing it with me. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. Got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart down in my heart to stay and then there's another part that goes I got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart down in come on sing down in my heart I got the peace that I'm losing some of you down in my heart and then my mom would be like and I'm so happy so very happy I've got the love of Jesus in my heart that was back when, some of y'all don't know because you haven't been alive long enough, but that was back when all you had was a piano and an organ in church. It was radically different days. Turn to page 104, we're going to sing, How Great Thou Art. It's the peace that passes under, do you remember in the Bible in Mark chapter 4 there's this story about how Jesus and his disciples are in this boat and they enter a storm. I, I want to read this to you for a minute. In Mark 4 verse 37 through 41 it says, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat. Now I, I don't know if you can do this. Can you put yourself in the boat for a minute? Because for me that would be absolutely terrifying. To be in a boat where there is a, imagine being off the coast somewhere and you're in this boat. Now, we have sophisticated boats today, but imagine a boat 2,000 years ago. You got a few boards floating on water and you're on this boat and all of a sudden a windstorm comes and the boat starts filling up with water. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm messing myself right about then. This is terrifying. The wind is blowing around. The water's filling up in the boat. And, and, and this is what it says, that waves were breaking into the boat and the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern asleep on a cushion. I always love the details of the Bible because it could have just said he was asleep, but it didn't. It said he was asleep and comfy. He was sleeping on a cushion, a cushion. Another translation says he was asleep on a pillow. You know what I'm saying? And this is, again, I don't know what pillows were like 2,000 years ago. There ain't no way they had my pillows at that time in life. This dude's asleep on a cushion. And this is what the Bible says. They woke him up and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? 
See, sometimes that's what it feels like. It feels like we're in a storm in life and it feels like maybe God's asleep at the wheel. It feels like maybe God doesn't know what's happening in our lives. It feels like, man, my life is getting blown around. It's getting tossed around. My lifeboat is getting filled up with water. I'm sinking right now. God, where are you? Are you anywhere? God, I need you. And this is what they say. Do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus woke and he rebuked the winds and he said to the sea, say it with me, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The boats are getting tossed around, filling up with water. The disciples are in a complete panic and afraid for their life. What is Jesus doing? He's taking a nap on a cushion. Let, let, let me tell you something. Your storm doesn't stress God out. He's still in control of the world. He's still in control of everything going on everywhere. He's in control. Peace be still. So God, just like the disciples, I'm coming at you and I'm saying, God, we need you right now. God, I'm in a situation where I need your peace that passes understanding in my life right now. God, will you say to the storm in my life, peace, be still? The second thing we ought to be praying for every day. This is a big one. I'm about to take the gloves off on this one. We got, we got a UFC fighter right here. She won her first UFC fight. So, this, I, I said I'm going to give you three points. I might only get through this one because this is, this is the one right here. This one's going to hit. And if you don't like it, I can text you a list of other churches down the road. But, but here we go. Number two is I need to be praying for God's provision. 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 What do I mean by provision? I mean this, that there is nothing in your life, nothing, not a single thing in your life that did not come from God. Nothing. Nothing in your life that did not come from God. He has given you, God has given you everything that's anything in your life. Your next breath, your next heartbeat, your health, your mind, your emotions, your personality, your abilities, your friends, your family, your network, your opportunities. Everything. Everything is given to you because of God's provision. God is our provider. I want to read to you Philippians 4.19. It's simple. He says, and my God shall supply all your what? Need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Let's read it out loud. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Listen, this is why this is important because some of you today, you need a real breakthrough in your life. You need a breakthrough. You need a healing. 
You need a miracle. You need a resurrection in your marriage. You need a miracle. Listen, you need God to open a door. You need God to provide. If that's you, I've got good news for you today because Jehovah Jireh is our provider. He is our provider. All throughout the Bible, you see God's provision. All throughout the Bible, you see God supernaturally providing for his people over and over again. Time out. He provides for his people over and over again, even when they're not living right. Which is not a license to not live right. But it is just the way God is. And all throughout the Bible, you see God's provision. Remember, he provided for the Israelites food, supernatural food, manna from heaven, dew on the ground. He provided ravens and a stream of fresh water for Elijah. He provided Abraham with a ram in the thicket for a sacrifice. He provided the Israelites a cloud by day, fire by night as a roadmap for which way to go. God provided by parting the Red Sea. He parted the Jordan River. God filled the trenches with water. God provided Sarah with a baby. God provided a savior to pay for our sins. See, God is our provider. And if you need a breakthrough today, you need to bombard heaven with prayer and supplication because he's our provider. Now, I've lived this story so many times I cannot tell you. Last week, I briefly mentioned a story, and I want to revisit it today, but... 13 years, 12 years ago, we had our third baby, Sam. And I mentioned this last week, but babies for us are completely miraculous anyway. But for Natalie and I, absolute miracles. Because my wife has a disease called endometriosis, which is something that we would wish on, not even on our enemies. Extremely painful, extremely frustrating. And we were told to be mentally prepared that we may not be able to have children. And I said this last week that we went home and printed out Psalm 139 that says, God is the giver of life, that he has fearfully and wonderfully made us. And we printed this scripture, we hung it on the wall as our prophecy, as our word of truth. Next thing you know it, we're pregnant, we have Kylie, no complications. Kylie's 21 years old. She's a college basketball player at Point Loma in San Diego. A couple years later, we have our son, Josiah. I call him King because in the Bible, King Josiah was an eight-year-old king who was a world changer. So we had King Josiah. So we had our girl. We had our boy. It defied all human logic. It defied anything a doctor might say to you, which is exactly what God does. He defies logic. He is the God who gives life. He is the God who raises the dead. And so then we were like, okay, we're done. We got our boy and our girl. I mean, how great is that? Like if we had had two girls, we'd say, we better keep trying. I would have said that. She had three girls, we got to keep trying. Don't get me wrong, we still try. And we can't have kids anymore, but I'm about to try. We got to be all about that try. And so, so then, uh, you know, we said, 
you know, we don't want a chance. And so I went and saw this doctor, nicknamed Dr. Chainsaw, and he took care of business and got a vasectomy. And I know this is way TMI, but I'm just trying to make a point. And, and so then we started getting the itch to have another baby. And it was like, well, that's not happening because I'm not going back in that for some attempt for a reversal and all that. I'm not, I'm not. Reversals are for UFC fighters. I'm not doing that. And so, so we start thinking about adoption. And, um, and, and, and here's just like the quick version of the story is that uh, we, we, we looked at different agencies. We looked at foster adopt. We're like, man, God, we're praying. We're bombarding heaven. We have prayer and supplication. And God, if there's a child that we could bring in our lives, we thought about international adoption. We thought about here in Arizona, in the state, we didn't care if a baby needed a home. We wanted to be parents to that baby. And so, God, we want another baby. We're praying, God, that you would provide. And I'm just telling you the most insane, like, god fashion manner God provided. And so one day at our previous church, we got this phone call from, this is the truth, this is crazy, from a lady who knew a lady who knew a lady true, that was seven months pregnant and couldn't keep her baby. So this church was a big church, you know, it probably had close to 100 employees in it or something, and the receptionist took the, the phone call, and of all the people she could have went in the whole office to say, hey, there's this lady who knows a lady who knows a lady, she came to me. And I said, well, I'd like to talk to her. And so I grabbed my wife, and we went outside, and this lady who knew a lady now, my wife's name is Natalie, but the lady knew a lady named Natalie who was a pastor's wife at a different church who knew a lady that was seven months pregnant and she couldn't, she couldn't keep her baby. Now, now this, is what's, this is what's absolutely incredible about this story, at least from my perspective, is that we had, listen, we had no money. I don't know if y'all have ever adopted before, but it's a lot of money. And it basically goes to attorneys and courts, but it's a lot of money, right? And like, so we know a lady who knows a lady and is a lady. We want this baby as our own, but we don't have any. When I mean any, I mean we had no money. And one day, I'm down at the Phoenix Suns Arena. And I'm talking to this angelic woman, and I didn't fully know who she was or what she did. All I knew is she was one of the minority owners of the Phoenix Suns, and her name is Kathy Pigeon. And Kathy Pigeon, I'm telling this story, and I'm just like, this is the craziest thing. There's this lady who knows a lady who knows a lady that's seven months pregnant and she can't keep a baby. We want this baby so bad. And I'm like, I don't know how to make this happen. She looked at me and she stopped and she got tears in her eyes. And you know what she said? With tears in her eyes, she said, Travis, do you know who I am? She said, I'm an adoption attorney. And she said, this baby is supposed to be yours and I'm going to represent you pro bono. And she did. Listen. Two, 
Two months later, are you kidding me? I'm in the son's tunnel downstairs crying, and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Crying right there on the spot. Two months later, two months later, my wife Natalie and I were in the delivery room watching our third baby be born, just like we were in the delivery room with our other two babies. What I'm trying to tell you is that I could write a book on all of these stories about how God has answered our prayers. Isn't it interesting that it's easy to think that we are our own providers? It's interesting. It's also easy to think that, well, if I can't figure it out on my own, then it can't be done. But I'm a living testimony of about a million things that I could never figure out on my own. But God came through and he had an answer and he had a plan and he had a purpose for everything in my life. I have learned the truth about what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26. Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Put your hands together if you believe that for your life today. With God, all things are possible. And so what I've also learned is that the more you have, the more you have, the harder it is to turn to God for your needs. The more you have, well, I'll figure this out. I'll figure this out. I got the money to figure this out. I got the resources to figure this out. And the more you have, the more difficult it is to allow God to be the provider in your life. Now, all through Scripture, Jesus talks about some interesting concepts when it comes to wealthy and rich people. Now, I want to dig into this a little bit because in James chapter 5, James, context is everything, James was the brother of Jesus. James wasn't always a believer that his brother was the Messiah. You wouldn't be either. If your brother was like, I just want you to know I'm the Messiah. You, you would be like, yeah, that is not the case. And then after the resurrection, how many know, then you would probably become a believer. And James becomes a believer, and he becomes a pastor in Jerusalem. He wrote the book of James. It's five chapters. If you haven't read it, read it this week. It is the most practical book in the Bible. It's so practical how many of you are new to your faith? Raise your hand. You're, you would say, I'm kind of a new Christian. Raise your hand. You're new to your If you're new to your faith, especially read it. When I was new to my faith, I memorized the book of James because it's only five chapters long. It talks about faith, how to grow your faith. It talks about not discriminating. It talks about, uh, uh, it talks about your mouth and how to manage it. Even though it talks about it, didn't help me at all, but I keep going back to it. It talks about prayer, the power of prayer. So in James 5, chapter 5, he like goes off on wealthy people. So I thought I would do that today. So I apologize if you think you're wealthy, but I'm about to lay into you today. The, the, the wealthy, he goes off on the wealthy people. And so he starts out, James chapter 5, 
and, and he's calling these people corrupt and he's calling them selfish. Not all wealthy people are corrupt and selfish. I'm just telling you what the Bible said and what James said. He goes off and he's talking and he's rebuking them. And this is what he starts saying. He said, you know what? You rich people, you need to listen right now. You're going to weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. He says, you're hoarding your wealth. You're living in luxury and self-indulgence. He says, misery, hold on, misery is coming on you. Isn't this a great word today? Misery is coming on you. Your wealth, it's going to rot. He said, your silver and gold, it's going to become corroded. Now, why would James do him like this? Why would he be popping off on the rich people? Okay, who is who? We know they're rich. Who is the target audience of this message? The, the, the target audience is the church. It was the church. He's talking to some wealthy church people and he's giving it to them. He's warning them. Was it wrong? Is it wrong to have money? It's not wrong to have money. What was wrong in this case was their perspective. What was wrong in this case is they were selfish, self-absorbed. They were entitled. They were cheating out. It says it in James 5. Cheating out the farmers out of the money that they owed them. They were so focused on themselves Listen, that they pushed their love for people and their love for God completely out of their lives. See, listen, there are some things in your life that if you're not careful, they will push God out of your life. There are some things. See, a couple Sundays ago, I talked about how God wants you, your life, to be fruitful. Fruitful. And I said some, some phrases. I said, if you want to be fruitful, if you want healthy fruits, then you're going to have to have healthy roots. It's all about the root system. And the root system is all about the soil that the roots are planted in. He wants you to produce good fruits and the only way is to have good roots. Jesus talked about this very thing in Mark chapter 4, verse 19. Look what he says. Mark 4, 19. Jesus says, the thorny ground represents the hearts of people who listen to the word, to the good news, and they receive it. This is, this is dangerous. This is crazy. But all too quickly, the attractions of this world and the delights of wealth and the search for success and the lure of nice things, they come in and they crowd out God's message from their hearts so that no crop is produced. So here's what he's saying. He's saying that the thorny ground represents weeds in your life. Thorny ground represents weed. Picture your life as a plant that has roots in soil. What soil 
is your life planted in? What in your life is planted in that soil? Healthy soil, healthy roots, healthy fruits. The thorny ground is talking about the weeds in your life. He's saying, be careful, be careful, be on alert, be on alert. Don't sleep on this. Pay attention to the soil that your life is planted in and pay attention to what's in that soil because he lists three things. There are three things that can come and crowd God out of your life. The attractions of this world, the delights of wealth, and the search for success. He says all three, all three are weeds and all three can derail your walk with Jesus Christ. All three can take root and crowd God out of your life. Now listen, the devil knows he cannot make you hate God, so he'll try to make you love other stuff more. Because he knows you're not going to just be like, yeah, I'm out. I'm walking out. It's just like if you're married. You're happily married. You love your wife. You love your husband. The devil is not going to make you hate that person. He's going to send another person. And he's going to try to set you up. And so you have to be careful about the weeds. What, what are weeds anyway? Weeds are these wild bushes. They just grow on their own and they steal the nutrients from the other plant. They rob them of what they need. They steal. You remember what the Bible said? That the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Then in John 10, 10, it says that the devil comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. See, it's a game of theft. And the devil, ultimately, ultimately, he wants to steal your peace and he wants to steal your purpose. And so he's always on the prowl. See, some of you today, you're here and you're thinking, man, I finally came to church. And he's talking about money, of course. Listen, wrong. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about your heart. And Jesus tied money to the heart because Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there is your heart. So, so, so in other words, if you want to know what you love the most, how, let's put it like this. I could figure out in about 10 minutes what you love most if you would give me access to your bank account statements. I could learn in a hurry. Boy, these guys love them some Nordstrom's. These guys love them some Neiman Marcus. These guys love fast food. These guys love Starbucks every day, three times a day, Starbucks. Man, I don't see nothing in this bank account that says they love the Lord. I can't find anything. 
So Jesus ties the heart. And by the way, Jesus spoke more about money and possessions than any other topic. Two-thirds of his parables had to do with money, possessions, money management. Why do you think that is? Because he knew as humans we would suck bad at it. Right? It's like when you're making 20 grand as a college kid and you're like, man, if I just made more money, I would tithe to the Lord. And then you graduate and now you're making 40 grand. And you're like, well, this isn't that much either. And if I just made 80 grand, and, and this is what I've learned, the amount doesn't matter. Because if it's not in your heart, you're not gonna do it whether you make $5 or $5 million. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. And so I'm looking today to have you look at your heart because money, you already said it, is not the issue. It doesn't matter. You could be loaded right now. You might be a multimillionaire. Maybe you're a billionaire. Maybe you flew in today for the Phoenix Open on your Gulf Stream. And you parked that Rolls Royce Phantom right next to that private bird. And you boarded that plane and you came from Idaho because that's where all the rich people are going now. Idaho. And I would tell you, I got no problems with any of that. None. It, you, you can have billions. It's not about what's in your bank account. It's what's in your heart. It's about what's in your heart. And the perspective of what we have isn't from us. You know, you're like, you remember the, like, what was it? It's Bobby Brown. I made this money. You didn't. Like, you know, it's like, it's my prerogative. It's like, bro, <laughs> hold on. You did, you just said you made, you took all the credit when you wouldn't have any of the artistic abilities. You wouldn't have the brain that you have. You wouldn't have the breath that you have. You wouldn't have anything that you have without God's provision. Money is not bad. Money is also not good. It's neutral. It's about the person who has it. And this is what Jesus said. Paul told Timothy, Paul's raising up a young champion in the faith, his apprentice Timothy, and he says, Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, he says, Timothy, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, listen, craving money have wandered, I've seen this firsthand, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I just want to encourage those of you that aren't rich, because that's most of us, <laughs> that wealth doesn't give you permanent peace. In fact, those that have more wealth than the average person could tell you there's a blessing and a curse to it, because there's also a lot of problems that come with great wealth. Remember, Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. Now I'd like to reorient all of your minds for just a minute, because I know when I say wealthy, some of y'all like checked out and you're like, well, that's not me. 
And I'd like to tell you that it is you. Because if we just look at Scottsdale, Paradise Valley, Arcadia, maybe that's not you. But if you stretch your mind out across the globe, it's you. Because half the world lives on less than $2 a day. $2. You guys let it sink. Two bucks a day. Almost two billion people on the planet live on less than one dollar a day. We have a church in Nicaragua, Impacto, Nicaragua. It's fire. We started it. You guys like that? I got accents for everything. Appreciate that. By the way, am I the only one who does this? I know this is super messed up, and I don't know why I do it, but if I'm talking to somebody that has an accent, I talk like them every time. I mean, I can sound Asian, I can sound Mexican, I can sound Russian, I can, anybody. I start talking, my wife is like, why are you doing that? I was like, I didn't even notice. Now my, my, my 12 year old's like, dad, why are you doing that? I said, I don't know. I feel like they can connect, I don't know. It's messed up, I know. Anybody else do that? Come on, be honest. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's weird. Got these guys that help me with my landscape and they're amazing. I love this guy, he is amazing. He's a Christian man, he loves the Lord and every time I walk out, I'm like, hey. I wonder if people do the opposite with me. They're like, hi, how are you? It's crazy. But he says, the love of money, the love of money is the root of all evil. He doesn't say, he doesn't say money is the root of all evil. He says the love of money. And that's where we get ourselves into trouble. And we are all incredibly wealthy compared to most of this world. See, what, what's the message here? The message is that you've got to keep your roots healthy. You got to keep de-weeding in your life because you didn't plant the weed seed, it just grew. And if you're not paying attention, all of a sudden weeds just start popping up everywhere in your life. Do you know a weed could be a person? Steals your joy, steals your peace. It could be a person. It could be an addiction. Man, didn't see that one coming. I, I, I have a friend who got an injury playing basketball, broke a body part, and they put him on one of those painkillers. Within a couple years, he's hooked on heroin because it's cheaper. I didn't see that coming. See, if you're not careful, if you're not the Bible says, be sober and alert. These weeds will come and steal everything that you love in your life. And so this leads me to number three. And we're going to close with this one today. Number three is that I need to pray for God's protection every day. Every day. God, protect me every day. Do you remember Isaiah 43 too? This is such a great verse. He says, when you pass through the waters... I will be with you. 
And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. See, the truth is, is that somebody here today, you're going through some stuff in life. You're going through some deep waters in life. You're, you're going through some, some very intense fires in life. That's why I love this verse because it says, listen, it says, when you pass through. First four words. When you pass through. He, he didn't say when you go to. That's a different ending. When you pass through. In other words, you're coming out of this mess. You're going to get through this fire. God's going to see you through. You're coming out. It's only temporary. This is not the final chapter. This is not the end of the book. God is going to see you through. Put your hands together if you believe that God's going to see you through this thing today. This is not the end. This is just the next chapter. He says, when you pass through. It reminds me of Psalm 23 verse 4. When David said, even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though I walk through it, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the darkest valleys. He didn't say, even though I walk to the darkest valleys. I'm going to keep going. 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 You know, one of the phrases I say, I've been saying this for years, and I, I didn't even realize it, but somebody will uh, DM me something about something. And what I find myself saying a lot is, keep going. Keep going. Keep going, man. Keep going. Don't stop. Keep going. Keep going. I don't know about y'all, but I've been through some dark valleys. Really dark valleys, very dark valleys. When you're in the middle of dark valley, you can't see your way forward. You can't see your way out. You can't see the light at the end of the valley. That's why this scripture is so powerful. It says, I am with you. Even though you walk through the valleys, even though you walk through the valleys of the shadows of death, through the darkest valleys, I am with with you. And I've been through some valleys, man. I've been through so many different things. My parents getting divorced when I was a little boy. My mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. My wife has all these different autoimmune. She eats perfect. And, you know, you, you, some, some bodies, some bodies, it's just not fair. Because she doesn't deserve it. As a husband, if there's one thing all y'all husbands know about your mental perspective is that when your wife goes through something, you want to fix it. I can't fix it. I mean, she has these illnesses from these autoimmune things. We have the best doctors in the world right here in Scottsdale that help us so much. But she has Hashimoto's, uh, hypothyroidism, endometriosis, something called MTHFR. 
B12 deficiencies, pernicious. I mean, I could go on and on. We've been through some valleys in our life, some fires in our life together. In the book of Daniel, do you remember the story of the three Hebrew men that were thrown into the fire? It's such a great story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were men of God. And they served the king who was the most powerful person in the world. And the king built this 90-foot golden image of himself and made a decree that everybody must bow down and worship this golden image. And whoever didn't would be burnt alive and thrown into the fire. And I love this story because of their perspective. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 18, this is what they said to the king, to the most powerful man in the world. They said, king, we are not going to bow down because we know that our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. See, I love this because we're not bowing down to anything other than God Almighty. God will be with us. God will protect us. God will deliver us. God will set us free. But even if he doesn't, I'd rather die doing the right thing than live doing the wrong thing. I'd rather die for the truth than live for a lie. So I'm going to put my trust in his hands and not in your hands. And whatever happens is going to happen. Oh, the king was furious. Bible says he heated that thing up seven times hotter than normal. And then they tied him up and they threw them into the fire. It was so hot that the guards who threw him in were burnt alive and died. And then in Daniel 3, verse 24 and 25, the king looks in the fire and he goes, didn't we throw three men in there all bound up? He said, I see four. I see four men in there who are loose and one looks like the son of God. See, let me tell you something today. No matter what fire you might be going through today, you're not alone because God is in that fire with you. And let me tell you something, all the forces of hell cannot stop what God has ordained for your life. God is our protector. And then in Daniel chapter 3 verse 27, the next service is trying to find a parking spot. It says... The, listen, the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. And their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Can you imagine? The guards got too, clo the guards got too close and died on the spot. Just because they were too close. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fire. In the middle of the fire. And not a hair on their head was singed. No burns, no pain, no trauma, no hurts, no smell. Because listen, no matter what fire you're in today, God will do the same for you. You're going to come out without a shred of evidence that you were ever even in that fire. Because God is your protector. No smell. I love the details of the Bible. No smell. No smell? Some of y'all are smokers. You smoke cigarettes. 
I want you to know we can smell it. I know you get used to your own gross, but we can smell it. Hey, I'm walking through the arena. All I got to do is go like this. I'm walking, not downstairs because it's not a lot. I'm in the concourse. I'm headed to get a drink or I'm headed to the team shop. I said, man, that dude smokes weed. That dude smoked a lot of weed just now. I could tell you. We can smell. You can smell. You can smell. You can smell. Now, for those of you that I made you feel really bad because you're smokers, I just want you to know you're not going to hell because you smoke. You're just going to go to heaven a lot sooner than the rest of us. Okay? It's all. It's just a waste of money. It's just a waste of money. It's a way like you're ruining your lungs. I mean, just stop. Celebrate recovery. Then we won't smell you anymore, any longer. And, and, and I love this because they come out untouched. I better close in prayer. It's 1028. Where does time go? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for the power of prayer in our lives. Lord, we want to be people of prayer. God, we pray that you would teach us and remind us that prayer is our first resort. That's the first thing we do. Teach us how to pray. Your disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And you outlined the Lord's prayer. God, teach us how to pray how to give praise, how to be thankful, how to bring our requests to you, how to trust you, how to let go of our worries and our anxieties and our fears, how to let go of our troubles and our problems. God, how to cast our burdens onto you because you care for us so deeply. If you're here today and you want to pray to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, then I want to invite you to do that right now and just pray, Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. I want to live for you and thank you for dying for me. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life.